Okay, you guys, come on up. Find a chair. This is grill session. Not really. Hey, Elsa, can you get me a little water? Or send one of the kids up with it. Okay, I've got a list of questions here, and, um, and you guys just jump in, okay? Uh, so the first question is this. Uh, the beginning of gospel urgency is an understanding of the gospel. The beginning of gospel urgency is an understanding of the gospel. So let's not get through this conference without defining the gospel. So I ask you, brothers, what is the gospel? That's cop right there. <laughs> you start, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in. What is the gospel? Well, we could, do, we could certainly do worse than looking at what Paul said when he said, what is the gospel? So 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not going to try not to preach on you here, but in 1 Corinthians 15... What Paul says is that I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and appeared to many others, as he goes on to say. So the gospel is the historical announcement of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which we all are, and that by his substitutionary death in our place and resurrection to triumph over sin and over death uh, by repenting of our sins and believing in what he has accomplished for us, we can have eternal life with him. So in a short version, there's the gospel. Well, I want to preach. <laughs> um, let me illustrate the gospel. Let me have one of these kids. You look like a great candidate. Come here really quickly. <laughs> Come here, buddy. What's your name? Benjamin. You look cool, Benjamin. The gospel message, and I want to illustrate it because I think it's more powerful if we illustrate it. Let me just see here. The gospel message just first starts with, you know, it's good news. Before you have good news, you need to have what? Bad news. bad news. We all know the bad news is that mankind has a problem. That problem is called what? Sin. 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 And that sin holds us in bondage so that we can't get out. That sin affects our thinking so that we don't think properly. And what happens, we don't act properly so we can't come to Christ. We have a, a major problem. That problem is called what? Sin. This sin problem also creates a deed problem. As a result of our mind being corrupted, our hearts being corrupted, us being in bondage to sin, we now do bad deeds. That makes us unrighteous. So not only do we have a power problem, we have a deed problem. And as a result of that, we need a, a Savior. The gospel message is that Jesus came to set us what? 
free. See, unless the preaching of the gospel takes place, man can't come out of bondage. How do they come out of bondage? They come out of bondage when they realize that they are hopeless. This one cannot go sit down if he wants because I have total control of him. <laughs> and so not only that, but he can't think the way he needs to think because so what happens? We bring the word of God, which we bring the truth of the gospel, that this one is hopeless and is sin. So as a child sins, we help them see that's because they have a sin problem. That sin problem has thus caused, uh, I mean, basically as a result of that, they need a savior. Only one can set them free from this sin. His name is Jesus Christ. Only one can set you free from your sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And the truth of the gospel is that Jesus can set you free. When you come to him and you recognize your sin problem, he will set you free. But with that, part of the gospel message is that not only does he set you free from sin, but that deed problem you had, that thing called unrighteousness, this reflecting it which covered you now what happens that looks you're, that's girl's jagged looks really good on you <laughs> that thing called sin is taken off and what's put on oh man come on <laughs> what's put on is the righteousness of Christ when Christ lived here he became righteous and as a result of that he obtained a righteousness that is outside to us left to ourselves we have no righteousness but there's a foreign righteousness the righteousness of Christ which is given listen unless you are found with the righteousness of Christ you will go to hell because you have a sin problem Amen. the truth is that your sin problem was the, went and it was thrown on the cross and you were given his righteousness that you can stand clothed in his righteousness so and not only that but he comes and he puts his spirit within you takes sin out puts his spirit in you that you can then walk in righteousness. you go from being a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness and that's what happens so when that comes to truth you then have a responsibility when you're exposed to yourself you have to repent, believe, be born again, have faith, and something else. And, uh, and that's your responsibility, to go before God in recognition and put your full, full confidence in Him. So that's a quick gospel presentation, and you were awesome. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I owe you, I owe you a candy or something. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the Holy Spirit, I assure you. <laughs> Great, I kicked a kid, but that's gonna go. Yeah, Shannon, I'm just I'm that's gonna put that on the Uganda. list. I'm gonna put that on the list with you standing on the pulpit. <laughs> Does anyone else would like to try to <laughs> I did right, I, I agree with all of that except for kicking the child. No. <laughs> I was just going to say, I didn't realize standing up and doing a monologue was an option. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep that in mind for future questions. you just got to be thankful I didn't use you as the prop. And Damon, do you have anything to add? I think there was some heresy actually in your thing because Christ actually puts on our sins. So you were supposed to put the little jacket on. We can have him do that. 
Okay, I am told we're going to need to be done by 7.20, so we need I, to I keep I think moving. the one thing that you'd have to also know, just know that unless you go with the gospel, that person can never be set free. And I think that's got to grip us. Faith comes from hearing. And unless that message is preached, that person will remain in their sin and never come to Christ. And so that obligation rests on us. Tell us about misunderstandings of the gospel, because, I mean, this is Texas. Everybody thinks they're saved. I am ministering to a, a guy right now who's just really hard to minister to because, um, you know, his life is full of sin. It, it's just uh, the fruit of unrighteousness all over the place. He doesn't have any fruit of the Spirit that I can see. And yet he is convinced that because he has believed in Jesus that he's good, he's, he's going to heaven. How would you respond to that? Um, I mean, it said in the word that the demons believe and shudder. That's right. So belief is not enough. And I just want to add where, you know, and in, in, you know, some people don't understand when you're sharing, the word of the Lord says we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So this is on us when we're born. There's, and, but, uh, and so um, I, would just, I would just say to that brother that, you know, faith, you know, without works is dead. Like, okay, if you are saying that you're saved, then the, you need to go out and, 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 and show that to the world. And uh, not that works save you, but you need to go out and show the world. It's not just I accept it. There needs to be fellowship. Your life needs to show that you are a follower of Christ. And if it's, if it's not, we can... Say, and I've heard this analogy, I can stand in the garage all day long and say that I'm a car, but I'm Terrence standing in the garage saying I'm a car, and I'm not a car. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I think I would add to, um, I mean, Jesus says that on that day, on Judgment Day, many will stand before me and say, Lord, did not we do all these great things? And Jesus will say, depart from me because I never knew you. I think there's something about the gospel that's just more than saying, you know, I believe. I mean, that's my testimony. I, I walked an aisle when I was eight, thought I was a Christian, but there was no change. There was no transformation. I wasn't born again. And, uh, and I, think that's, I think we just have to realize that when we're truly born again, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And there's change. There's power with that. We're no longer in bondage to sin. Um, so... Hmm. Good. Um, here's a question that came from one of our folks today. If all the elect are certain to be saved and none of them will be lost, what is the rationale for evangelism? The Bible says so. <laughs> I think to ask the question, not to pick on the questioner, but the question misunderstands the, the way that God's sovereignty works, right? How does, how does God feed your family? He feeds your family not because you sat around at home and said, oh, Lord, will you provide bread for my family? It's because you go out and you get a job and you work your job and you earn a paycheck and thereby your family is fed. 
God works through means that he has given to us and he has ordained to us. He has told us to go and preach the gospel to all nations, and that is the means by which the elect are saved. And um, the passage I was preaching a couple days ago in Acts 13 uh, talks about how as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. How did they come to believe? It says they were appointed, but they believed when Paul preached the gospel to them, not because there was some kind of direct download from heaven of what they needed to know to believe. I think there's also an obligation that we have to not try and figure out, I mean, practically, we are, what we know in revealed word, if we want to be word-driven people, we can say, well, we're called, but also, we're also called to proclaim the truth. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to try and trip over my theology. What I want to do is I want to be obedient to the word of God. And the Bible says it very clearly that how are they going to hear unless we you know, unless we preach it. And so what I would say is that leave the mysteries to God and get out there and preach like it's all dependent on you, but wait and trust as if it's dependent on him. And uh, I, you know, in Uganda, we're committed to do everything we can on a human level to reach the people of Uganda. And you know what? We're going to plan our ways and then let him direct our steps, but we're going to go after it. That's the way Paul lived. And so I think good enough for Paul, good enough for the rest of us. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys still clapped in this church, so yeah. it's good to hear. Yeah, my first thought was uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may obey them. Um, we're not going to figure it all out. If we could figure out the mysteries of God, we would be God, and we're not. And so we're, we're responsible for the things that have been revealed and to obey them. Uh, let's, let's go to another group of questions, and, uh, and I've categorized these questions under the heading, How to Share the Gospel. And um, so question number one here is, what advice can you give on sharing the gospel with Muslims? And well, by the way, and if you didn't know this, uh, there's a mosque right across uh, 30 uh, in that neighborhood just on the east side of Como, right? You know, I think that's interesting that so often we want to, well, what about the Hindus? You know, so what about this group? What about that group? And I think that we think that in some way it's different for each group, but it really still comes back to the same principles that Christ loved. Love people and proclaim the truth. But do it in love, with gentleness, with kindness. And a lot but, of patience. And patience. And, and again, let them leave you, but you don't leave them. And, uh, you know, I love, you know, and one thing I'd even say, I think evangelism is a lifestyle more than just an event. And uh, live a lifestyle that just attracts people to you. And what you're going to find is they're just going to be enthralled with you. And they're going to be excited just to be around you because you're so loving and so kind. And they're going to ask, what's, wrong? what's different? I lie, and you, and you, just, you could see that coming out in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that the thing in which, in which they slander you, 1 Peter 2.12, uh, as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then he goes and tells us how those good deeds are, submitting to authority, submitting to your spouse, 
you know, how you live your family doing it God's way, the way of the king, will be a testimony. But I think that obviously getting out there, I, 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 there's two types of events. There's the event where I meet this person on a plane, I've got one opportunity. I would be careful that you don't shove so hard that it like hurts, you know. What I would do is, that's why, you know, you can get tools that you can just send them. I use send, if I have a situation, I'll send them quest for truth. But I'll try and leave an aroma on them to make it where, man, I care for you. Man, you really got to know this. I want you to know this because I want you to know Christ. I know religion. I know all that stuff. That's cool. But I just want you to know Christianity. So, because you're not going to be able to, I mean, you try and explain, you try and let them ask questions and get in an engaging conversation, but don't feel like you've got to, like, conquer the kingdom in that hour moment, you know. But what I would do is I would get ready to send them tools, send them gospel so that they get it, you know. And you, I'll send a, a PDF of, of questions. You just put it on your phone and zip it to people. And let's just get it so that when you're done with that conversation, everybody's heard. But then there's our neighbors who we interact with all the time. That's when you want to get in Bible studies with them. That's when you want to love them. You want to try and invite them to church so that you can do what's called discipleship evangelism. And I think that that's much more effective. But again, people need to be loved. They will know we are Christians by our love. You can have all the right theology, but if you have not love, you are a resounding gong. And so, so with that, love and truth. And those are how you're mixing those together, whether it's Muslim or whatever it might be. I, we have a guy in our village who's Muslim. His name is Hodge. Hodge. He calls himself a brother of mine. I don't really feel completely comfortable with that term because he's not really a brother. You know, he's not saved yet. But I met, he knows that he is loved and adored by our ministry. And, uh, and I have to keep telling him, hey, Hodge, you're a Christian, but you just haven't you're, you come to Christ yet. But we're, we're waiting, you know. Uh, but, but build that love relationship regardless of what religion they are. Yeah, I've seen him come on your campus. You know, we're out there having baptism or something, and we look over, and there's this guy comes, and he's got the white hat on. And who's that? Oh, that's Hodge. He's kind of the, uh, the religious, the, the local Muslim, and uh, he, he loves SOS. He loves to be there. He, of course, he acts like a big shot when he comes, and he is among the Muslims, but, they, but he knows he's loved, right? You guys have seen him. Um, just, just real practical here, what are a, a couple of questions that you have found helpful in uh, and just engaging with unbelievers. While you're thinking about that, we can, we can just add to what Shannon was talking about regarding loving people. You know, uh, when you have time to share the gospel with someone, like you're on a plane. We sent this out uh, by email a few weeks ago, FIRE. Uh, here's four topics of conversation that you can dig into to, uh, to, to kind of get into this person's life, F-I-R-E. Uh, F is family. Everybody wants to talk about their family. If you come and ask me about my grandkids, I start reading for, reaching for pictures, right? I want to tell you about my kids. I want to tell you about my wife. I want to tell you about my church. Um, so family. Uh, I is interest. What are your interests? Ask questions of them. Don't tell them about you. That has nothing to do with evangelism. They don't need you. They need Christ, and they need to know that you're, uh, that you're loving them. So it's F-I-R is relationships. What are, your, what are your close relationships? Are you married? How long have you been married? Et cetera, et cetera. And then when you get through all of that, they're going to be more likely to 
allow you to get to the E, which is evangelism. Um, but I have found if you're, if you're going to really engage with someone, you've got to engage at where they are. And uh, again, just to show them that they're loved, to give you an opportunity to love them. What else? Thanks for answering that question, Dan. <laughs> yeah, what he said. <laughs> Thanks for sending in that question. <laughs> it's, it's relationship. So just start a relationship just like you would with anybody. Just ask, so how are you? With a genuine concern to hear the answer. I remember one time being on a plane with somebody and I, I asked, hey, how are you doing? You know, are you married? And, you know, and, uh, and some, for some reason, or he was reading a book and I came over and I asked him what book he was reading. And, uh, and then he just started talking well, to find out his wife was having some sickness. He lived in this area. I actually ended up sending him to this church here. And, uh, and so I went, and, and hearing their need, I went and I actually wrote a check. I sent it to their home, and I got a response back of how that was, that was just the thing they needed. They needed hope in the midst of that mm. and how, uh, you know, and so part of it is just learning really what is really going on. Having genuine concern for people leads to genuine gospel conversation. Just going to say, sometimes I think we, we make it too difficult. And I, I think Shannon's exactly right. It's just caring about people. You'll know what to ask. Mm-hmm. You just genuinely care about people, and you'll have the right questions. Mm-hmm. And I think you can even say, hey, would you want to get in a Bible study? I'm telling you, it works. Uh, it really does. We just don't do it. But they're not going to, you know, some of them, if God is calling them, they'll say, you know what? I love to. People want fellowship. They want community. They want relationship, you know, and, and, and don't be afraid. Just get right into their heart. Relate with them. Understand. But, but ask them, would you want to get into a Bible study? You know, I, there's this Bible study I've been really wanting to go because this preacher keeps telling me I got to take people through it. Would you be willing to go through it? You know, uh, that kind of a thing. Yeah, that's good. By the way, um, how many of you would like to get your hands on uh, Shannon's book? Um, they are out. I went to go uh, down there and get one a little while ago, and we're out. We were a little short-sighted. We didn't order enough. So if you would like one, we're not giving them away, but uh, if you think you, you would use one, would you raise your hand? Because I'm about ready to place another order. Okay. We'll say that's 20. Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, so for Damon and Shannon, to what extent are the villagers in Uganda under the influence of the health, wealth, prosperity gospel? Pretty good extent. Um, I mean, that is the dominant view of Christianity in, in Uganda. Um, and so I think I think most people kind of have that background, and so you're you're part of part of what we do is is just teaching them what the true gospel is. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's most of the. I think people. it dominates every <clears throat> religious system. So if you're Baptist, you're Baptist health, wealth, prosperity. If you're Anglican, Anglican health, wealth, prosperity. I mean, it's like health, wealth, prosperity of every kind, you know. Anglican health, wealth, prosperity. You probably even have Muslim health, wealth, prosperity people too. I mean, it's, it's what you have in Uganda is pagan Christianity, which is not real Christianity. It's pagan, meaning it's offering a Jesus 
different than the Bible. The Bible of the, of the Jesus of the Bible is one that deals with sin. The Jesus of Africa is one that makes you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so uh, it is the dominating uh, theology of all churches. Like trying to find a strong evangelical church that is God-centered and Scripture-exalting, it's almost impossible to find despite all of the other stuff. And what's interesting is we get all these little trainings coming in, but it's just being laid on top of the wrong God and, and the wrong gospel. And so you have to unravel the one. I'll never forget. I think you guys were there. You and Dan were there, the one conference, when someone spent the whole night up telling me that I'm a false teacher, you know, and, and, uh, and it's because they are so steeped in this, you know, Jesus who came to deliver us all from demons, you know, even though we're Christians, get that, you know, how, that's, how does that work? But what I always say is that it's an opportunity on pagan Christianity is the opportunity to come and say, this is really Christianity and take them to the Bible and show them for yourself. So I, I'm thankful that it's there. Before that, there was, uh, I mean, I'm thankful in one sense it's there. I mean, before that, it was idol worship. But at least I can now come in and say, oh, Jesus, yeah, let's look at Jesus. Let's go to the Bible, and, and, then, and then we can lead them to the true Jesus. So, Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I remember when someone asked a, a line of questions uh, down along that road, and you began answering, and a good section of the crowd became hostile. They got on their feet, and they were screaming. And uh, that, was, uh, that, was, that was pretty scary. <laughs> well, and before we even overly criticize, I think sometimes, too, remember that uh, really the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, what they're doing is saying, if you want to be happy, come to this Jesus here. Idol worship is if you want to be happy, then, then you hold this idol in your hand. You know, if you want to be, so the, the, the pastor has become the man of God with all the power, so he's like the false teacher. You know, but there's many religions that are the same way. Even, you know, some people who think that, you know, that man, he's going to make you happy. It's the same type of a thing. And so it's all false religion. It's all surrounded around the belief that something other than Jesus Christ will make me happy. And, uh, and so, you know, anyhow, just to kind of help us understand that all false religions are the same, mm -hmm. faith in something else for happiness other than Christ. How pervasive is Islam in Uganda around uh, where, where you're ministering and, um, and how much influence uh, is on the people that you're ministering to? I mean, it is, it's, it is growing fast. They produce like 20 kids, I mean, literally. They got like three wives going. I mean, that's unfair because they break all the rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they got their three wives and they're producing kids like crazy. And, you know, and then they want to like conquer like people claiming to be Christian. I mean, it is growing and growing fast. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the future looks like, but I can just say even in the 12 years I've been there, it's, I mean, it is growing rapidly. Kind of like Israel was growing in Egypt, Islam is growing throughout the rest of the world. And, uh, and so it is a real threat. Uh, but uh, we know who wins in the end, so we're not really concerned. Right. But, you know, but it right. is a real threat. It dominates in, in the African society. Of the people that you baptize, uh, what percentage would you say are um, coming out of a Muslim background? I don't know what the percentage would be, but I was just going to say that just in the last 
two years, we've had two mocks built within a two-mile radius of where we are. I would say of the people being baptized, maybe 5%, 10%, something like that would be my guess if I were to, to take a guess. And again, they don't come in the front door. Uh, they kind of look through the windows first. And, and it's basically the love of the community, people just dominating with the love, and then they come a little closer. Then they come a little closer and they start asking questions. And when they start asking questions, you know that you're like getting them like a fish. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. putting on the hook and... You just kind of whirl them in slowly. Sometimes if they jerk, you know, you just, oh, you know, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, but sooner or later we get the net out and swoop them up and, you know, no. Just gonna, <laughs> uh, and I would but, say, too, that even through Legacy, we're seeing some kids who are coming out of Muslim background that are being changed. And we've had two kids that I know of that have changed their names from a Muslim name to a Christian name. Hmm. You guys have a uh, uh, pretty varied... Um, ministries. I mean, um, Eric, you're kind of in the academic area of this, and um, and Shannon and and Damon are um, working in a local village setting, an entirely different kind of setting. And you're working with local pastors, trying to make sure they understand the gospel. A big deal, right? And um, and also ministering to the children and the people in the village. And then Terrence, you're here in America. And you've got the River Tree Academy and everything that's related to that and the farm and uh, the future of that. Um, what is, and I, I'd like each of you to answer this, what is one thing that you've learned about God as a result of the ministry that he has called you to? One thing you've learned about God. One thing I've learned is that and I think I said this the other day, but that God is the one who's building his church and God is the one who's sovereign and how that comes about. And ultimately you see God is doing something and God is building his church and the work that ultimately happens um, is what he does and we all have this part to play in it. We're all trying to be faithful, um, but he's going to do what he's going to do and that's incredible to see and to be a part of. The way I would answer it, I, I'm going to have to just say two just because they're, they're piggybacking. Plus, I, I don't want to completely follow the rules. But uh, uh, one thing I would say, and it sounds Pentecostal, but I think it's good for our community, uh, that God is able. That God is able. I think that we want to sometimes put everything in a little box, within a little time schedule, within a little. And, and, and so, therefore, when, we, when there's a... A hill that we need to, to jump and it doesn't seem mathematically possible sometimes I think in our little worlds we ah let's shut it down and, uh, and and I can just say that God is completely able he is able to do things beyond our imagination there he is still moving mountains he is still you know and so I, I on that I, and another way you can say it more in our little stream of is that God is faithful and, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I look back, and if I were to envision what I have now in Uganda, I would have never envisioned it. It's beyond even my own imagination. And, uh, and you look back and you go, oh, my goodness, look what God has done. And, you know, I remember sitting in Uganda after the third year, not knowing what in the world I'm going to do, having some guy stab me in the back, having all kinds of challenges, and I'm thinking, God... Let me be faithful today and trust you for tomorrow. And I can come through after all of these years and I could say, God is faithful. 
Look what he's done. And, and it just gives you more passion to go that much harder, that much faster, you know, because God is able. He's done it in the past. I know he's going to do it. And so you can then rely on God that he is able and he is faithful. And so that's what I would say. My answer will be very simple. He does not, he doesn't care um, what I don't know because there's a lot of things that I don't know. He's going to be faithful and he wants me to be faithful. I show up. Every day, there are a lot of things that I don't know, and, and God doesn't care about that. I think that one of the things I've learned about God is that he doesn't ask my opinion when he decides to do something. <laughs> um, and, and, but he's good, and we can trust him. Yeah. And I would just echo what you guys have said, just as the pastor of this church, and, you know, uh, used to be pastor of these folks from Living Hope. Um, you know, I, I look back over the last 23 years, and what, and you young people need to hear this message, just repeat it again and again here in this question, that God is faithful. Amen. What does that mean? You don't have any idea what that means. <laughs> you don't. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and people of earth. When, uh, when I became senior pastor here, people were asking me, what's your vision? What's the elder's vision? And, and many of you remember this because we said it again and again. Do you remember? We used to say our vision is, is simply to be faithful in the next decision. We don't know where God's leading. We just want to be faithful in the next decision. And so we would work on being faithful in the next decision. And we would say things like we've come up with a plan. We haven't heard from God. This is our fallible, dependent plan. We don't know what he's going to do with it. But look, here you are. And here is living hope. And we hope to do that again. We have no idea whether God's going to plan another church or not. All we have to do is be faithful in the next decision. And I think a lot of you young people and a lot of your moms of young people get all fret and worried about what's going to happen in the future with my child. What is God going to do? We've got to get them on the right track. We've got to steer them this way. And there's a certain element of that that's true. But at the end of the day, you just have to say, you know, the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. And I understand Jesus was talking about salvation when he said that in John chapter 3. But this is just the way he works. He moves you. I mean, if you were to ask me 20 years ago, well, 30 years ago, if I would be a senior pastor, I would have just laughed at you. That, that wasn't even on my radar. And, and yet here we are. Here we are. When you're on the front side of that, it's all faith. It's all faith. You just have to say, Lord, I'm going to do this because I believe it will be pleasing to you, and it might get me in trouble, and I may lose my job, or, or you might bless it, and I have no idea. I'm just going to take a step. And, you know, like we like to say around here, if you're following the good shepherd, he will always lead you in the right path. This is the right path. So thanks for letting me answer that question. Okay. Um, um, what are the biggest challenges that you face in ministry? What are the biggest challenges you face in ministry? Since I've been quiet, I'll, I'll come right out of the box on this one. <laughs> There's a lot of heavy hitters up here, y'all. So, um, when people ask me what's the hardest part of my job is when you share the goodness of Christ and you love on people and they leave. Mm. I, I can tell you that. I mean, it, I'm, I'm choking up saying that it, because it is. It's it, uh, and I don't feel the personal rejection. That's not what it's about. It's it's you're going. Man, I've shared the, the gospel with you. This is an unbelievable school where your child is hearing truth, but 
the depravity in the person's heart or the outward focus on, you know, what's going on in the world and just focusing on the problems and, and not the solution, and they leave. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens, and that's, that's really the hardest part of my job is if you lose a family, if they leave. Hmm. And the Lord's sovereign over that too, right? Amen. I think the hard, one of the hardest things that that I face, um, and probably we face, is putting up with me. (laughs) 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 You know, sometimes uh, people don't always respond like you want them to respond. Um, You know, we've joked around before. This isn't being recorded, is it? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if we were just building buildings, it would be easy. Because blocks stay where you put them. Um, and, and people don't. And I think it's probably the same thing you're saying, just people not responding the way you would think they would respond. Mm-hmm. And I, if I can add to that, I say... Amen, and same thing to what you guys just said. But then I think along with that, the difficulty is just my own heart mm-hmm. and my own sinfulness and the mm-hmm. fact that these challenges happen in ministry and people don't respond the way you want them to. And it's frustrating to me that after so many years of following Christ and so many years of being in ministry that I'm so quick to respond in impatience, in anger, in, you know, in kind of later on lying in my bed trying to go to sleep, churning the thing over and over and kind of like, why did this person act this way? Why did this thing happen this way? Um, just this, the fact that um, the fact that I'm sinful and the fact that, you know, ministry is going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. But I, yeah, I think for me the greatest difficulty is you know, why am I so easily persuaded um, not to hope in Christ? Mm. Why am I so easily pulled away from joy in Christ even when it's hard um, because he's always, what we just said, he's always been faithful. He's all, he, God has shown himself to be able. And um, I wish I remembered that more than I did and more quickly than I did when obstacles happen. Hmm. I think the, the way I would answer that are the pressures. Uh, I'd, I'd have to say the pressures, the pressures of advancing the cause, the pressures of, you know, just of bearing up all the needs. You know, I, we live in a very needy society that doesn't have capacity to really fund anything. So it, it puts a lot of pressure on us to, to do and to meet those needs. And, you know, I come back and all I can see are the kids in my primary school. You know, all I can see are the kids in my community and the, and the people in my church and those pastors. And, you know, you know what Damon says, I just love this message uh, the other day. Uh, it's seeing them with compassion, and you, when you live with them, you 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 carry the weight of them, and uh, and so and so you know with that, it's pr- practically I'm I'm driven and I'm motivated because there's people we have to care for, and so um, so for me it would be probably those pressures and and uh, you know it's it's interesting I the. You know, I, you, you are, we are like Israel going across the desert, and we're looking at our shoes saying, these should be wearing out. Why aren't these shoes wearing out? You know, and, and they're continuing to, to endure, but you don't know whether to make a plan to actually get new shoes or just be content with, uh, you know, and, you know, you, to be wise, you better get new, sh- you know, plan for new shoes. But, you know, but it's just you live in those tensions, 
And, uh, and so I would say that that's probably for me. You know, I'm pulled so many different directions and the wisdom is to, one, seek Christ first. And like I'm always preaching my own soul, love Christ, love Christ, love Christ. Let that be the driving compulsion. But you are pulled here and pulled there and you still have to be a dad and still have to be a husband. And, uh, and so all of those tensions, which I feel like the Lord continues to give grace and wisdom to overcome, but I would say those pressures. Amen. If someone were interested in, in uh, seriously thinking about going, on, uh, going uh, to be an international missionary, serve on an international field, what advice would you offer them? I'll pipe up quick, and then uh, and I'll be quiet. But uh, what I would say, first of all, get fully trained. We don't need wimp chicken babies on the, the mission field, you know? Uh, I mean, these, I mean, honestly, people, they feel this pressure to the zeal to get out there and, and I get that and I appreciate that, but fully get trained. If you're going to work with pastors, then get a master's degree to come work with pastors. Don't come out as a college graduate, get fully trained. And not only that, but get busy now, prove to us as we look on or prove to whoever's going to look on that really, truly you're living it. Uh, so that it's almost so they can look and say, okay, Timothy, lay your hands on that guy because that guy's called. You know, but get fully trained. Don't come out half-baked. Come out fully cooked. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that that would be the first thing that I, I'd say. Yeah, I think I would add to that, in addition to what Shannon said, uh, talk to your church. Talk to the elders of your church. Submit yourself to, to their wisdom and to their mm -hmm. leadership and what we don't need is people who have sent themselves mm -hmm. and decided that, oh, you know what? I'm called to go to such and such place. Like, we don't need self-called people. We need people who are, uh, whose calling is affirmed by a local church because that church has seen them putting their gifts to use in the church because the church have o has overseen their preparation for that. And that church is ready to say, yes, we are behind this person. We want to see them go. And so the way you do that is you don't, wait until you sort of like signed a contract with the mission agency and, you know, made your plans for such and such place and then come to the church and say, hey, like, here's my plan. Will you, you know, give me some money for that? Mm -hmm. What you got to do is you got to come to the church on the front end and say, hey, I'm thinking and praying and, and God's putting on my heart to be overseas potentially. Help me think through what that should look like and where that should be and, and how I should be prepared for that. Let the church be involved in not just the end result of your decision, but the years of preparation and training leading up to that. I know that the question was for foreign missionaries and I'm amongst uh, rule breakers for the kingdom. So I'm going to break a, <laughs> I'm going to break a rule a little bit uh, because Como is you know, our school river tree. It's a, it's a mission field. Our neighborhood's a mission field, but what I've seen is, and I, and I would say pray before you make a decision to come and serve that it's not, um, I want to come and be a savior. I want to come and save these people. I've seen it in teachers. I've seen it in volunteers. Uh, it, it doesn't work. We only have one Savior and just, you know, come with a heart of, Lord, use me. And even if you're not qualified, we can train you to do that. But um, if people's motives are, I want to come and save this neighborhood and save the folks there, that's, it, it won't be pretty. That's the mm -hmm. best way I can say it. Mm -hmm. I think I would just add, um, I would 
just say examine your heart and, and just ask the hard questions. Are you satisfied in Christ? Because it's not always easy. And the thing that's going to carry you through is your relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you're not satisfied in him, if he doesn't satisfy your deepest longings, um, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Or potentially a nightmare. For everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, uh, part of this question is how do you determine the will of God, right? How do you know if you're called? And this isn't just for uh, missions. This is, you know, are you called into pastoral ministry? Are you called to be a, you know, whatever? Am I called to be a nurse or a doctor or whatever? And uh, I think especially in the church, uh, you have this wonderful opportunity to test that desire. So number one, do you have a desire? And a lot of people stop there. You know, I have a desire and I've prayed. Well, it's great that you've prayed, but God, again, God uses means to communicate what he wants to communicate to you. And then you can look at a, at, at a Bible verse and say, you know, it says go into all the world, so I should go into all the world. Well, maybe, maybe you should go into your neighborhood. So number one, um, do you have a desire? Number two, are you doing that ministry now? Are you doing something like that now? Are you being faithful? Do you have a history of faithfulness? Uh, roughly speaking, in the area that you're thinking that God wants to lead you. When we're looking for elders, we're not just looking for guys who are competent. We're looking for guys who are already shepherding. If they're not shepherding now, you're not going to shepherd when you give them the title. And the same thing with being a missionary. If you're not being faithful now in the gospel, when they stamp you on your forehead, missionary, it doesn't, something magic doesn't happen. You don't suddenly get a desire to share the gospel. Um, that has to happen long before then. The third thing is uh, have the people, have the leaders in your church affirmed your giftedness. You know, if they come, they hear you teach and they go, you know, maybe, maybe you should join the praise team or take up poetry or something. Um, maybe, maybe you're not gifted. And you know what? We, we know some dear brothers and people in my family who had some guys who were just honest with them and said, listen, we, don't, we just don't think church ministry is your thing. And you know what? They changed direction, and now they have a thriving ministry in a, in a field that they never imagined before. And then, uh, so, so let the men, the leaders in your church, speak into your life and tell you the truth about what they see. And number four, do they give you opportunity? If nobody's given you opportunity to do that thing that you want to do, that's probably the Lord saying, I don't want you to do that. I didn't gift you to do that. And so those four things are really critical when you're trying to determine the will of God, especially in areas of ministry. Um, we're going to run out of time here, but uh, what were some of the fears or doubts that almost stopped you from becoming a minister or a missionary, and uh, what were they, and how did, how did God help you to overcome these things? I don't know that I was ever afraid of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like some of us are just dumb. We just, we just, we just fall into it. You wake up and there you are I in mean, Uganda. Like, I, mean, I don't think I was so ever being naivete. Would be. <laughs> I mean, I, I would just say I think the thing that's scary is that sometimes you're going into a world that you don't know, and and I would just even probably even related to the other. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> like, I was dumb, you know. I mean, I went out in the middle of Africa, not knowing anyone, and brought my awesome family. With, and like, what was I thinking, <laughs> you know? 
So I'd even tell you to get exposed and come alongside a ministry and learn what's on the ground before you get into it. Like, don't do what I did, you know. <laughs> I probably should have been afraid. So <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that I would even say that you need a, an element of faith. You need an element of, of trials that you've gone through before you step on that field. If you're going to really do something that matters, you need to have gone through it a few times. And uh, because you're going to get on that, the very first thing that'll hit you on the mission field, I don't care how, how, how many years you've planned, is a trial. And it's because you're in a new environment, in new situations. And if you don't know how to handle that trial, ha, huh, then, uh, then it's going to be hard. And so, uh, you know, th you should be afraid of missions. But at the same time, I would hope that you've developed enough maturity where you're not controlled and driven by that fear. You, if you're going to be pursuing missions, you need to be in a place <coughs> where you're confident beyond the point of fear that that's what you should be doing, that that's what you are called to, that that's what God has for you. If you're in a situation where you're like, should I do it? Should I, should I not do it? Okay, like 51% I should do it. Like, no, like you don't need to go overseas because the first thing that comes up, the first trial, you're going to be like, okay, now I'm back under 51%, right? We're, we're down to 45. That means I should go home. And so... Um, so there are those fears. There are fears that you have in advance, fears that you should have that you, that you don't have, perhaps. <laughs> but, um, but I think when you're well prepared, and when, you, you know, when you have the right support behind you, um, then the calling is clear despite the fears. Yeah. Um, fears are and were I'm underqualified and I'm not worthy, and those things are still true. But we know... Uh, that Christ is, and on the practical side, um, education, seminary, and, and finding people that you know are, are following the Lord and, and being a Christ-like example and people who have gone before you in these, in these areas and, and coming alongside them and it not being about, I mean, my track was, it wasn't my vocation. It wasn't about the money. I would go and get jobs so I could pay the bills, but I, would, I was around people who were running after Jesus and, doing the, and making a difference in people's lives that I wanted to make a difference in. And, and I continue to do that. I'm still taking classes. I'm still going to school. And, and I just don't believe that ever ends. I think I was just going to say, um, I don't know that it's necessarily fear, but there's certainly a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, you, don't, you can't figure everything out. And I think it's just an element of faith, and you just have to trust the Lord to do what he's going to do. But I think that's true of every, should be true of everybody. I think we should have our lives oriented. We should be living our lives in, in a way where we don't know how things are going to work out. I mean, I think even, even in evangelism, I mean, there's an element of uncertainty. Anytime you step out on, and you're doing something that God has called you to do that you're, you've never done before, there's going to be uncertainty, and I think you just you just trust God because He's going to provide. It's what Shannon was saying. He's able, and He's going to do whatever He calls you to do. He's going to fulfill. He's going to give you what you need to do it. And, and part of getting on that mission field is you have you have to have had you've have to have died to yourself. You know if if you're going to go there because if not, and, and you have to continue. I remember when I went to Uganda. 
I didn't want to bring golf clubs. I didn't want, I didn't want to bring any of this because I'm like, I'm going and I want to be serious-minded. I want to be focused. I want to put these little trivial, dumb things away. I want to really be focused and, uh, and, and die to me. And, and, and I would just say that, really, that's what we want to continue to learn, that dying. So you, you read guys like Hudson Taylor. I mean, these guys, in preparation, they did crazy things. But part of it was that learning to die to self. I don't think you have to do those things, but I think in your heart, you, there has to be a sense in which you're kingdom-minded, not self-minded. And just one more thing that's probably worth saying in this context. Sometimes the fears that keep people from the mission field are not their own fears, but the fears of family members, of parents, of in-laws, of siblings, and things like that. And just so that, that dying to self is not just about the person that's that's going, but it's about those around them too that are deprived of their, you know, of, of that relationship, of that proximity, of grandchildren being nearby. And I know there's people in this room that have experienced that and just realizing that all of us, because it, 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 it's, I've seen it a lot that there's, you have Christian people who are zealous about missions until their daughter wants to go. And just realizing that gospel urgency if, if that's what we're committed to, that's the kind of thing that might be asked of you. And so are we ready to persevere through that fear too and trust the Lord that he is good even in that circumstance? And I think other, there's another scenario too that I would bring out and just want to hit just to make my wife proud of me uh, <laughs> is there are women who think, you know what, I'm called to the ministry, but my husband won't go. Um, what I would say to you is I think that you have an unbiblical perspective of calling then. Our calling is first revealed in Scripture, and that calling to your husband, you know, I literally we've had people say that to us, and we just say, remember that your calling as a wife is to your husband and to help him in whatever God has called him to do, and that is your primary calling as a lady. So don't put guilt upon your husband to go to the mission field. Or, you know, when we first were dating, he was going to be involved in missions. You know, it's funny. When I met my wife, I was working in the admissions department. She thought I said I was working in the missions department. And, uh, you know, maybe she married me because she thought that, you know, and then all of a sudden it's no admissions, you know. But the calling is to wherever you're, to help your husband. So, uh with that, if God calls him from Africa back home, are you now out of God's will? I think we have to be careful in some of our, our thinking in terms of those types of things, too. Uh, last question, and this is an important one. One of the cruise girls asked, is it hard to be a missionary or is it just fun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll end with that. <laughs> Well, great. We're going to take a break here, and uh, thank you guys for uh, answering all the questions. And I think uh, Rod was going to come. <laughs> <laughs>